Have you ever wondered what it's like to be a veteran? It's pretty awesome, but then sometimes it's really not. Sometimes it's a, um, it's a roller coaster ride that takes you on a journey of emotions, sometimes all at once. But one of the cool things is, is you have a lot of really cool stories, you meet a lot of really cool people, you connect with a, a different level of uh, personality that you probably never would have had you gone into a more mainstream career field. Now, me, when I joined, I was, I was weird, right? So my theory is there's nerds, there's dorks, there's geeks. So now nerds are really, really smart. Then you have geeks, which are pretty technical. They're pretty creative um, in the technical field. And then you have dorks. Dorks kind of act like nerds and geeks, but they really don't have any of the benefits of being smart or tech savvy like a nerd or a geek. But everybody assumes they're smart, so that's kind of cool. But I was kind of dorky. Okay, I was pretty dorky. Um, I didn't have the best childhood as far as making friends. I really didn't come into a personality of my own until I was probably 16. And that was through some really cool friends that I met in California when I moved there from Alaska. The thing about me is I really didn't have an identity until I was probably, you know, 17 that I was really starting to formulate. It was a little late in the game. When I joined the Air Force, I was a little bit, okay, I was really thin-skinned and I couldn't really take a joke. I didn't really handle sarcasm the way I took everything really personally. And the uh, aircraft maintenance community really kind of stripped that down to almost nothing. Um, then I joined the Navy, joined the Seabees, and that wasn't any easier as far as um, taking it easy on your ego or personality. So I really had to learn how to uh, take a joke. You know, throughout that time, I, I got an edge on me, and sometimes I maybe take my sarcasm or cynicism or dark humor on the world a little too far, but I don't apologize for it. And that definitely comes from the military. Sometimes you think we laugh at things in the military that are not funny, and we agree with you. They are not funny. Our humor is very dark. We make fun of that part of our life, let it be death, suicide, uh, horrible things that we don't want to talk about. That's why Cards Against Humanity is pretty much a look inside the mind of a veteran as far as how they look at everything. So when a veteran really watches their mouth and doesn't uh, say that joke, you should really thank them. Thank them for their service because that act of not saying the off-color thing at the wrong time, the fact that they were able to not do that is pretty impressive and that means that they really want you to like them. Now most veterans really don't care if you like them or not because we have an abundance of friends and I like to shock people right when I meet them because if they can't take me with my sarcasm then uh, I don't think I need to expend any more energy on them. Now this doesn't mean that we just say the wrong thing at all times. This doesn't mean that, you know, we don't like you if we don't say our mind. Sometimes we have to be polite. But we do have to watch our, our humor when we are in certain settings. You know, church, Thanksgiving, 
At least until we've gotten a few drinks in us. But through all of that thin skin wearing away and getting a thicker skin and dark humor, we built some really strong bonds that we can connect with. It also allows us to connect with others that we may never served with directly, but our experiences line up so perfectly that we have an instant similarity, connection, story that we can bounce back and forth. And even though it seems like maybe it doesn't matter on the small scale of things, it allows us to validate what we went through and what we're going through and what we haven't gone through yet that we can look forward to or look out for. This next guest is Leonardo Yui. Completely different part of the world he's from, but our stories are so similar in our journey of joining the military, some of the things we went through, some of the same deployments that we shared. Um, we never met each other before, and it was a really cool conversation. We got into some really deep talk on suicide, uh, but there's a silver lining and we're gonna be okay. We're gonna get through it. We will survive. Take my advice, stop rolling the dice, and just compromise. It's the chance of your life. Hey, brother. What's going on, man? Good, man. Are you, uh... Yeah, it's crazy, this whole Zoom thing. I'm still catching up. I'm old Skype, old school. Oh, okay. Is Skype, is Skype still out there? Yeah, Skype's out there. I like it just for recording, but um, this is good. I wanted to play around with Zoom anyway to see how well it works, so. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, man, I I came across your uh, podcast because uh, I came across also uh, Josh uh, podcast as well. I yeah, mean, Josh is amazing. Any Josh O'Brien is who we're talking about, funny, but yeah, Josh O'Brien, man, that guy, he's a rock star, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he. Uh, and you know what? It's how how. I I just recently started to uh to uh listen to podcasts in the past probably like two months. Yeah, it's and, amazing. Uh, yeah, and it's pretty good, you know, because I um uh well I recently moved, but before that I was just a how a half mile away from the beach. So every morning I will go walk a few miles and and just listen to podcasts. And then I came across his because I was looking for something to listen about cities, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Because there, there isn't anything out there. I mean, there isn't much, you know. As far as I've been looking for, it's either yours or his, and there's nothing else besides no. that. No, it's crazy. So before we get too into that, um, so I don't really know anything about you other than you were passed on by a buddy. So tell me a little bit. Name, where you're from. Okay. Well, I'm uh, originally I'm from Peru. I was born and raised there. And I uh, came to the States when I was uh, 17 years old to Miami. Yeah. You know, you can't I, tell by your accent that you're, you're not from here. <laughs> 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 but whatever, man, you're from here. You joined the military. You're one of us. 
right? Yeah. <laughs> so Peru, man, you go back there often? I uh, let me see. Uh, last time I was, I went there was in 2018, and prior to that, I went after I came back from Afghanistan. Yeah, like 2009 was a lot. Yeah, 2009 and then 2018, and I went back there. I was uh, I was trying to find myself. Uh, um, I went there just planning to stay for 10 days, and I ended up staying a month and a half. Oh yeah. <laughs> so uh, South America is one of uh, three continents that I haven't stepped foot on: South America, Australia, and Antarctica. It's the only ones. Oh. I've okay. always wanted to go down to South America, though, man. Peru, man, that's that's the ticket right there. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know, I, I grew up there, so and and uh, and me coming to the states, it's it's like I'm in the middle, you know, where yeah. you don't know where you belong. Like, you know, okay, well, yeah. you know, I spend most of my time here in the U.S. Like, you know, I'm I'm 39 years old, so I spend. Most of my most of my uh, time, you know, here. But then at the same time, I still got family over there. So it's like, you know, where do you belong? You know. Yeah. So let's back. When did you join? Let's backtrack a little bit. When did you join? Two thousand five. All right. Yeah, February twenty seven, two thousand five. Navy. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you do? I was a CB EO. You know. You still got my hard hat right there. <laughs> right. You know what? I never kept anything. And I mean, yeah. like, you know, once I, I, I was, I was uh, getting out of the military, I didn't, I was like, in a, it was kind of like in bad terms. I was angry, you know, for the way, the way things yeah. out. So yeah. I get that. Trust me. We'll go into that. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't want to, uh, to have any type of relationship or be related to the military. Yeah. Yeah. I was, that's, uh, it's crazy. So I don't know if you, you know, I don't assume anybody listens to my podcast, but <laughs> um, I don't know if you heard any of my stuff, but yeah, I went six episodes and then, man, I just went into this. It's like the ether of getting out. I got out in June of this year and the ether of getting out wore off. And then all of a sudden, I was just mad. I was, right. just, I was just angry. And I'm like, I don't even, like, Veterans Day was hard, freaking Memorial Day. Any any holidays that had to do anything with vets was was brutal because I'm like, I don't even want to go on base. Like, I don't want to do nothing. I went through exactly the same thing. Yeah. I didn't step foot on a, and I leave, like, 30 minutes away from, like, I'm in the center of three different bases. Where's that at? Uh, Jacksonville, Florida. Yeah. So I, for a full year, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, you know, walk into the base, you know, yeah. you didn't, didn't want anything to do with it, you know? Yeah. So where were you stationed at uh, when you got out? Uh, here in Jacksonville. So like I was telling you, my story is uh, somewhat similar to yours because I am that cross rating as mm-hmm. well. I was, uh, well, you know, I joined the Navy, uh, out of uh, Colorado Springs. Okay. Hey, that's uh, where I joined the Navy out of, actually. Really? Yeah, yeah. I got out of the Air Force, and then, because uh, I was Air Force for six years, mm-hmm. then I got out for, like, nine months, and when I came back in, I went through Colorado, Colorado Springs and the Mets up there in Denver, 
Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that they have that nasty looking hotel that they yeah. put in. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Look the same, man. No matter what Meps Hotel you go through, they're all under yeah. construction. They're all like just this deserted Sheridan-looking hotel. <laughs> yeah, it looks sketchy, you know. When <laughs> when I got dropped off there, and uh, well, the reason why I joined out of there was because uh, my ex-wife, she was in the Air Force. She was uh, stationed at Shriver uh, Air Force Base. Okay. And uh, so I joined there, and and. Um, and the funny thing is, like, the Navy was not the branch that I was looking for. Yeah. Uh, previously, I, I, I spoke to a recruiter, to the Army recruiter. Uh, I spoke to the, uh, the Air Force recruiter during the time that my, wife, my ex-wife joined. And I talked to the Marines. And I still remember, you know, when I spoke to the Marines, one of the things that kind of just drove me away from it, it was because just, you know, Marines by nature, they're cocky. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I, I didn't consider the Navy until it was kind of by accident. Um, I was outside their office just smoking a cigarette, and then some guy randomly just asked me for a lighter. And he was a recruiter, <laughs> was a recruiter, but I didn't know because he was wearing jeans and he was a BM two. I still remember he was a BM two. I don't remember the last name, but it was a BM two, and we just started talking and. And then the conversation led to him telling me his story and why he did it, what he was doing in the Navy and the places that we, he went. So, you know, practically the Navy, you see the world. Yeah, uh, well, that's true. I don't know if it is for you, but man, I saw like... It wasn't for me. I didn't see the world. All I saw was Stan. <laughs> so... Yeah, uh, it was funny. Like, I joined the Navy and it was like, yeah, let's join the Navy, see the world. I went... <laughs> Iraq, Africa, Afghanistan, Africa. I never got a green deployment until I converted over to, to Navy yeah. Doppler. <laughs> I'm like, this yeah, is all looks the same, man. It's all a shade of dirt. That's all the yeah. only co- everything's dirt colored. <laughs> but you know what? After 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 you deploy, you know, so often to the middle to, to the desert, you know, you kinda you can I, I I kinda I kinda learn to like it. Oh I I'll prefer I'll prefer boots on ground deployment over mm-hmm. the the gray navy side, man. Like I I didn't do well on a ship. Like I'd been too institutionalized into the CBs to even put up with any of that nonsense. And then like going the the greatest thing about those deployments is you're you're gone. You're you're over there. Like mm-hmm. when you're in Okinawa, when you're in Guam, when you're in all these other green deployments, like you go home, you check your email and stuff, but in Iraq, Afghanistan, Africa, even like you go home and it's just, it's Groundhog's Day, man. Like there ain't nothing to do. You can't leave the wire, nothing. Yeah, that's true. You know, plus no, no alcohol for six months or seven months, whatever the time yeah. that, you know, that you're there. Yeah. All you yeah. do is work, man. But you know, I, I found myself, I, I don't think I ever hated, uh, a CB deployment. I mean, yeah, they'd get long and you'd be like, okay, I want to go home. But man, once you get home, you find yourself itching to go back, right? Yeah. Yeah. I got into that swing where I was just, man, I need to, I need to leave. And yeah. that happened to me when, because I did recruiting duty at some point. And that happened to me when I was recruiting duty. I was like, man, I feel like I'm out of place. I feel out of place. I don't belong here. I need to go. I need to deploy. So where did you deploy to? Uh, well, 
I went to Iraq, Afghanistan. Spain was my last one, my last stop. Those are good. Uh, those are the good deployments, man. And the Marines, they, uh, no, no offense to Marines, but they're easy to take money from in card games. Uh, <laughs> I remember it was uh, when we were in Afghanistan, we were playing cards with, uh, we were just in this dirt hut, you know, like this clay hut. And uh, we were playing cards with a bunch of Marines that were on the cop with us. And then there was like two Army PSYOPs guys. Right. We were cleaning up really good. And then once the Army PSYOPs guys came in, they, they cleaned us out. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, yeah. Deployments, I never got to, uh, you know, like to, to play video games or, or you know, yeah. or cards and all that. I, 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 I just wanted to rest, man. I wanted to sleep, yeah. Yeah. you know. Yeah, you find yourself just uh, getting into this thing where it's like work, eat, sleep. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, you converted, you said? You cross-rated? Yeah. Uh, so when I was in the battalion, I was there for five years. And my last deployment ended up being uh, Spain. Uh, and that was when NNCB-7, instead of doing a regular six-month deployment, uh, six deployment, we ended up doing a 10-month yep. catch-up with the rotation. Yep. That was when they decommissioned a couple other ones, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah, that's when we switched over. We used to go uh, west coast, east coast, back and forth, and then the rotation got all screwed up, and then all of a sudden we were turning over with our own west coast battalions all the time. And Right. So, so uh, I left, I think, uh, three months after the deployment, I went to uh, NRD Miami to do recruiting duty. And I was there three years, and then uh, – during that time, I don't know if you remember, during two, 2010 until 2013 or 14, advancement for E01. Oh, yeah. That's when know, I converted. Zero, zero point four. It was like one a year for three years. Right. Yeah. So I remember that I went through seven cycles trying to yeah. pick up first. I went through six, and I, I didn't even, like, I could have scored perfect on the exam. I wouldn't have made it. And uh, and then you know recruiting duty. I was that was I was a very successful recruiter. Yeah. When I was when I was uh, down there in Miami, and there is like you know for me, there was nothing else that recruiting duty could have done for me as far as like awards and all that because I maxed out on yeah. what I had to yeah. offer other than getting cap, which I knew it was not going to happen to me because so, of advancement during that time. So just for people listening, you know, uh, we're throwing around a lot of a lot of Navy terms, and uh, even some of the other service members are like, I don't know what you're talking about half the time. But anyway, cap is when you get, you know, spot promoted, you get promoted without the test. The the CO is allowed to award so many. It's usually given to people who are going up for higher tenure, right? Like that's typically right. the person when it comes down to the CVs. Anyway, it's like, well you're about to get kicked out for higher tenure. So we'll give you a cap. And so you have to pretty much wait until someone yeah. retires or dies and it sucks. Right. And I wasn't under on, on that, on that, uh, on that category because I wasn't, you know, I was not, uh, you know, the, uh, I think it's the, uh, the army e enlisted review board, man, that took right. a lot of us. <laughs> right. They right. did this thing where, man, they took out like, I know some really good second classes that were just booted because something had happened, you know, a PRT failure five years before, 
And right. the Navy was like, nope, on paper, we're getting rid of you. And it's like, you just took our best, you know, CE too. Yes. During that time, there was a lot of good guys. There were really good, you know, people that just got caught in the middle. Yeah. You know, and there, was numbers people, there was also people that got to stay, but, you know, it was like, really? You kept this guy? Maybe, yeah. you know? Yeah, they didn't give any command input. So it was like the Navy made the choice of ones and zeros. They turned us into binary, like, hey, you're a one and a zero. You either make it or you don't. And, oh, man. So my first time up for Perform to Serve, I was in Afghanistan. And no lie, like, we were, we were like two, two and a half, three weeks into Afghanistan, and I lost my rifle. Oh, yeah. And I well, so what happened was it was like a 3 a.m. movement. We were going out to get on a helicopter. And so I'm EO2. I'm the tower leader for Waterwell and or the team. Oh, you were the Derek? No, I was like the the whole team leader. So I was the senior, the senior guy other than the chief. And uh, so I'm getting everybody moving. I've got the whole thing going. We're loan bags on this flatbed. I've got my rifle on the flatbed hanging from the, the stake truck, right? Right. So it's hanging there. Well, somebody told this one, one of the guys told the other guy, hey, grab all the rifles and put them up against the T-barriers. So he puts them up against T-barriers. Well, I don't even think about it because I put my rifle on the truck. Well, he grabbed my rifle and he put it on the T-barrier, T-barrier the T-wall, these big cement walls. And we pack up. It's zero dark 30. We drive to the airfield. I get to the airfield and I'm like, shit, where's my rifle? And my rifle, I'm like, it's okay. So, I mean, it was like, we're on Camp Leatherneck. It's still like a 20, 30 minute ride to the, to the helo pad from where we were. Yeah. And I'm like, it's all right. I know it's on the back of the truck with the bags. Let's just get there. So we get there, we get there and it's not there. And they were like, Jesse, you know, what'd you do with all the rifles? And he's like, oh, I put them by there. I'm like, what? did you take mine? And he's like, yeah. So we drove all the way back and it was gone, bro. And somebody, this one, this one like E3 guy who was just walking to the head at three in the morning, he went and picked it up and he took it to his rack and was like, oh, I'll just take it to the quarterback in the morning. <laughs> so he took it to his rack. So between three and seven, we are searching. I've got the CO up. I've got, you know, our gunny. He's up. Like, we're searching this whole place. We were afraid, like, because we had third country nationals cleaning the base, you know? We were like, oh, somebody grabbed it. And I'm sitting here thinking, my career's over. I'm going to go up for DRB. I'm going to go up for XOI. I'm going to go up for captain's mask because I lost a rifle in a combat zone. And at seven, at seven o'clock, they have muster. And dude walks up and like, hey. I found this rifle, you know, last night. It's like, why did you take it to the quarter deck, dude? It would have been all over. <laughs> so he slept with it. And so I'm, I miss movement, too. So I had to stay back. And the, and the team went off without me. And I'm just thinking, I'm going to go up for perform to serve. They're going to review. I'm on my first look. I'm out. And luckily, by the grace of God, the, the command came down and was like, all right, you... It's two weeks until you go out and meet your team. So you're just working in the armory. And I was like, I'll do it. Right. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> hey, man, you don't, you, you don't have to ask me twice. You know, I'll I will clean it. the hell out of those rifles. And you know what? You don't got to clean it. I'll clean it. I earned it. <laughs> <laughs>
You know what? Uh, now that you mentioned those incidents, uh, something like that happened to me too as well. We were on our way to, uh, yeah, to arrive, right? We load up the, the rifles. Uh, no, actually, yeah, we, I think we took the rifles on board the plane mm-hmm. coming from the U.S. And we stopped in uh, Maine, I think it is. Yep. I was in Maine. Yeah, so anyway, so we stopped there. And then they tell us, leave the rifles in here and leave the mags there as well. Well, I completely forgot that I had them in my cargo pocket. <laughs> I see so where this I, is going. <laughs> dude, I walk outside the airport. They, t- they take us out because I think they had to refuel. They had to do something to the plane. Yeah. I don't remember exactly what. Anyway, oh, so... Bangor, Maine, to- right? Or Bangor, yeah, Maine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's where, where the greeters are there to shake yeah. your hand and yeah. come back. So anyway, so everybody, you know, uh, uh, advance party, you know, we all, we go, we go to the uh, airport area and we're just waiting to get back through customs again and get in the plane. Well, during that time, I still, I still didn't remember that I had those magazines on my, in my pocket, my cargo pocket. As I'm going through customs, I'm emptying my pocket, right, to go through the scanner. And I realized, like, oh, shit. <laughs> you got ammo. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell, and I tell the, you know, the customs guy, I say, hey, man, I got, I got magazines with me. And there was a whole huge deal for them. You know, they're like, okay, well, you cannot come into the plane, and we got to keep those. And I said, no, like, I got to take it with me. You I can't be the leave. first person that's done this, I promise you. You know, Not at that airport. Yeah, like, dude, I got to take this with me. So then he talked to his supervisor and so on and so forth. And then, luckily, the, uh, the guys, the Embark guys from the battalion, you know, there, was an e- there were two EO1s that were in charge of that, the whole Embark process. And uh, one of them, you know, so the airport people ended up talking to the, that EO1 so they can escort me back into the plane. Yeah. Trust me, bringing ammo on this plane is not going to be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I was like, man, and I was, you know, I was just walking in the plane. And I was like, you know, with my head down, like, done, like you know, giving <laughs> me shit about it. So how long did you stay in? Uh, I did f- almost 14. Almost 14. Yeah. Yeah. What made you get out? What happened? Well, um, I got medically, uh, medically retired. Yeah. So you went, you got medically retired, not medically separated, right? Correct. So that's what happened with me. Uh, but mine, mine happened at friggin' 19 and a half years, but that was brutal. But walk me through it. What happened? Well, uh, so, you know, battalion recruiting duty, recruiting duty. I was, uh, I had the only option for me to stay in West to cross rate. Uh, I got offered a few, uh, a few uh, rates. I think it was Aircrew was one of them, Boatsmate was one of them, CS was one of them, which I didn't picture myself doing that. Mm-hmm. And then PS, uh, Personnel Specialist, right? Admin work. Yeah. And uh, out of all the options that I had, I asked that NC. Well, she wasn't an NC. She was an AZ2 during that time, but she had the NEC to do that stuff. So I asked her, well, out of all these rates, which was going to which one's going to be the one that allows me to advance? That right now it's open. She's like, well, PS is. 
Okay, I'll take it. So cross rated to PS, and I got I got assigned to a DDG out of here in uh, Mayport, Florida, which is Jacksonville. I get to the DD, to the DDG, but prior to that, I was having some issues uh, with anger, like just random. Uh, I was having, you know what? I was having like random mood swings, mm-hmm. and I couldn't I couldn't understand why. Uh, or I will I will tend to uh, not social not socialize much, or, or just I was having like all those different. You know, I call them mindfuck games. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I could Well, the worst part about those ones is like, you know, they always say like crazy people don't ask themselves, are you crazy? Right? Like, Hi. they don't ask that. But it, the worst part about it is you feel crazy, but you know you're not. And you can't, like, you'll be having a panic, panic attack. You're, like, you're having like a little temper tantrum. And you're like, I know this is completely irrational, but I can't do anything about it. Like. It's completely uncontrollable. Correct. Yeah. Right. And uh, I still remember, I I didn't know what a panic attack was until a doctor had to explain it to me. Yeah. And I still remember that I used to have them and like, I still have them like in 2000, I had them in 2009 uh, and uh, I had them in front of my, which who now my wife is, you know, and I couldn't understand why what's going on because it was driving me crazy. Isn't panic attack like, that's one of the worst names for something so serious. It makes you feel like the name panic attack makes you feel like, you know, a wuss. Like, it makes you feel pathetic, doesn't it? Just the name yeah. panic attack. It's like, no, it's not that, man. Panic, like, it's not anxiety. It's, it's literally like your blood pressure is through the roof. Your heart's not beating properly. Like, you lose nerve sensation. Like, it might be just psychosomatic, but... You have, it's not like, you know, you're having it and you're just like, I I can't control anything. Like, you know what? Your body just shuts down. It's like a seizure almost. Yeah. Well, probably. I mean, it's the way I see it is that, uh, I was having this weird feelings, right? And, uh, I couldn't find an explanation why I I wanted to make sense of it because uh, some, sometimes I will think like, I was a whole different person that somebody was taking control over me. Yeah. And I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't, like, I was doing a lot of reading and trying to figure out what was going on. And that happened actually right before, right when I got to recruiting duty and, and one of the, uh, you know, the, uh, the lead recruiters there that was in charge of me told me, I said, hey, uh, I don't know what's going on with you, but, uh, you know, you, you need to, you know, here's, he gave me that one, that, uh, military one source card mm. and he told me look check them out give them a call you might find someone you can talk to i blew it off mm-hmm. until a few months later it was continuously happening again happening again you know until i actually i was i was scared to uh to go to uh to medical to seek call yeah uh, because I mean, my biggest fear, even until even until the moment I was out, my biggest fear was how is this gonna impact my career? Yeah, and you know what's 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 crappy about that is every command chaplain, every mental health professional, every person in leadership, CO will tell you, you know, if you need help, get help. 
it doesn't affect your command bullshit the second you it go you. <laughs> the second you go you are never looked at the same even by people who are going through the same thing it's like it's like you've got a sickness man and like they don't want to catch it i was in the chief's mess i just made chief when uh when i went to the ship and i got i ended up going to mental health because i started like blacking out man i lost 30 pounds like in a month i was going i wasn't sleeping for like i'd go two three days without sleeping then i'd just black out for like hours and so i didn't even want to go to like i was like i'm not going to medical and finally they forced me to go not really forced me it was like if you don't go we're gonna force you and that looks worse um <laughs> and man it I by the from the time I went limb dude to the time I left the ship, it was ten days, right? At on day on day eleven, I'd say eighty percent of the chief's mess like unfriended me on Facebook, like they didn't want nothing to do with me anymore. Like they they just said, "Oh, that dude," you know. And my CO when I left, he said, "Hey, when you go down to Walter Reed." You know, get help and get out of the Navy so you don't do this to another another command. Oh, they took that personal, man. And that's what it is. That's exactly, dude. You got it. I said they they put it on the they changed my eval, my evaluation, and on the bottom line it said, and dude, I've had nothing but EPs my whole career. You know, I've been, you know, number one sailor type stuff. Mm -hmm. And he put with proper guidance and leadership could one day perform at the level of a chief petty officer. Dude, we passed so many inspections ahead of time because of me. We like I ran two divisions that I ran supply and nav at one point, like navigation division. This is like my first real ship. And I'm like, and then to write that, and he wrote that, like, so I'd never make senior chief. You know? And that's exactly what I tell people. I'm like, he took it personally. And it's it they're not supposed to. By the book, it's like, yeah, go get help, get better. Come back in the Navy. Now, when you go get help, they want you gone, man. I don't care what they say. I'm not, I'm, I'm encouraging people like go get help, like go talk to someone, but don't let them feed you. Like your health is more important than your military career. So go do that. But man, yeah, that's, it, that's how mad I was when I left. It's a, it's a numbers game, you know, it especially is. like, you know, like, especially on your rate, you know, being the NC for the command. You know, and 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 I like me for example, working on the admin part of the you know the ship and dealing with manning and manpower for the command. Yeah, you know, you don't get that that someone to fill that gap for months because yeah. like you went you went limited duty, but then your your billet your your position is not open until you actually transfer out and then they got to fill that gap. So, because that's the same situation that happened to me. Yeah. (laughs) When you're admin, like, you know, or, or headquarters, you're a focal point. You're like a one of one or a one of two. So everybody in the command comes through you at some point. And I'm not downplaying any of the other rates, but the stress, like you only have to deal with your core group of people. If you're an engineering if you're a, like, you know, a CM, like not everybody's coming through the CM shop, not every, the construction mechanic shop, not everybody's going to, you know, the engineering department, like they're not, but everybody comes through admin. So 
when you're going through something, the entire ship sees it, the entire command sees it. And that's, that just adds on to the stress because you're an integral part. You're, I mean, you're a PS, you're, you're paying people, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And you know what, when, uh, you know, what I was telling you is that, you know, I was having those, uh, problems, those issues and, uh, which now I don't call them like that anymore because I educated myself more about the subject to not address it as. Uh, mm. Tell me, counsel me. <laughs> well, you know, I had to, uh, had to, so I was the guy that, that, you know, if you go to like, I had, a, I had people in the ship, I had people that had medical issues and, and this and that and all that. We used to get a lot of people dropping out right before deployment. Yeah. You you know, to me, it was a headache because I was like, how am I going to fill this gap? Because Big Navy, you know, Big Navy is, seeing, is not seeing, they're not right in front of you and they don't know what's going on between the command until it makes it to paper. Yeah. Which is the orders. I was tired that, you know what, that if this guy is not going to cut it, I would just, you know, recommend, okay, to the, uh, to the, the LPOs or the chief or the department heads, I would tell them, well, you know, just let me know who do you think is not going to make it to the deployment so that way we can find him a replacement right away. So you're pre-screening people. Right. Uh, that's dangerous, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That sucks, though. I mean, it's sometimes you got to do it. You just know a certain percentage, and then you start profiling people ahead of time. And I was, I mean, I was, I was a dick, man. I was that guy. Yeah. I, I was a guy that would tell people, suck it up. And with time, I'm there realizing, like, I was a miserable guy. Yeah. <laughs> because I was, I, it was a fight between, you know, between my inner self, you know, trying to stay, trying to stay positive, trying to stay strong and push through it. Yet I was just drowning. And the only thing you can do is dive into work. Like, that's the other thing is the further down my mental rabbit hole that I went, the better my work got because that's where I was comfortable. I could control it. Like that was, I could do that all day and nobody, and they kept focus off my personal life. So, you know, my ex-wife, she knew I was going through some stuff, but I never talked to her about it. She just knew me, you know? And, but anybody who didn't, who wasn't like my close friend, they're like, man, you're really into work. And I'm like, I just don't want to leave this space in my head right now. Cause it's not, it's not fun out there. <laughs> Yeah, I used to uh, I used to go on board the ship sometimes two three p.m. and uh, people will see me on the quarter deck. PS One, what are you doing here? Came here to catch up on some emails and prepare to what's going on, you know, for the next few days yeah. and next weeks. And my wife will be mad. You like, you know, why are you going to work so early? Why are you coming back on so you know so late? And I will tell her, well, if I'm gonna be here laying in bed thinking, I might as well just go to work. Yep. I still do that like now, like I went into work the other day at like 4.30 because like I just couldn't sleep, man. Like I was up, the more I tried to sleep, the more I just gave me too much time to drift off into other thoughts. I just went into work, so yeah. I get that, I get that. The ship line was, I mean, I, I, people used to complain about my customer service skills because <laughs> I was very uh, direct. 
you know? Yeah, what, it, CBs are their own cut, man. Like, it's weird because when, when we go out to the fleet, I mean, people can tell right away we're weird. Like, <laughs> like we don't do people very well, but we do our job really well. And when, I, when our job has to do with people, it's like, well, our job takes precedence. So we'll, take people, we'll, we'll handle people later. And uh, so, and then uh, on my second deployment, coming back, uh, I was still dealing with you know the same the same uh, the same uh, symptoms until one day I just decided to take my life. You know, I yeah. was suicidal, yeah. and uh, I uh, I end up going up on the uh, the bridge that connects Mayport to the north side of Jacksonville. Yeah, and I, I, I still bridge. remember today, to this day, man, that I stopped there. I was just, I, I was out of control. I was, uh, I don't know whether it, if I was having a panic attack or what it was, but it was just wasn't me, you know? Was it more like autopilot or was it just a completely different thing? It, it was like an autopilot thing. I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm tired. Yeah. I just want to, I just want to close my eyes and pretend like I'm a whole different person. Yeah. And, you know, I stopped and got out of the vehicle, got close to the edge. And I was, I remember that was, I was crying, you know, and I, I was in uniform and I was crying. And I was like, I was in a way trying to talk myself out of it. And at the same time, trying to make sense of the situation. And just, it was like a combination of a lot of things. And then uh, what I was trying to remember was, you know, and, and I was thinking about my kids and my wife, and I was like, you know, I cannot do this. And, and then the honk of the vehicles that were, you know, because I was stuck in traffic and people was honking. And then I just, you know, got back in the vehicle, drove home, and when I got home, it was all over my face. Like my yeah. wife, she saw me and she was like, what, what happened? Yeah. And I just, I just... I broke down. Isn't that crazy? Like, I remember I was going through my, I came back from an Africa deployment and halfway through Africa, I had, I had told my ex-wife, my wife at the time, I was like, I don't want to be married anymore. And it was, it was like a start of a self-destructive pattern where I was starting to distance everybody from me. And uh, I was playing a long game. I kind of knew like, like I just want everybody who's attached to me to start moving away, you know? I made it through the deployment just fine. And then at the end of the deployment, I came home, you know, and that's when it all floods you. It's like, well, shit, you don't live with your wife and kids anymore. You made this decision. You got to live with it. And I remember I was sitting there at my buddy's house. He was letting me stay up in one of his rooms. And I was sitting there and I was like, I had my gun on my hand, my lap. You know, it, it looked like something out of you know, a, a cliche movie, you know, I got all these like this box full of like photo albums, you know, I'm like sitting on this bed that's got no frame on the floor, you know, I'm just like in this, it looks like a meth house almost, but it's not. I mean, it's just a bunch of like three dudes who didn't, you know, like two of us are going through a divorce. So it was like this halfway house for like shitty sailors or CVs, you know, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and I'm sitting on this bed and, you know, I've, my ex-wife, like I sent some text messages to my wife and I was like, you know, just take care of the kids or whatever. And she started noticing something was up. And so she calls a buddy of mine or her best friend's husband was a chief in my battalion. So she called him, he called me and, uh, 
then he called my roommate and my roommate came in and he saw me sitting there and I had this gun. And I mean, I'd had that to my mouth probably three or four times. And, but every time, man, my kids, it was my kids. And it wasn't like they needed me or anything like that, but just family, they don't, they don't recover from it. They'll never, they'll never know why, even if you leave a note, like they'll always blame this. Like people live 40, 50 years and on the anniversary of somebody's suicide, they get heartbroken all over again. And, and that's what, that's what stopped me. That's literally, it wasn't self-preservation. It wasn't, you know, like this is dumb. I didn't even talk myself out of it. I was just like, well, shit, man, you decided to have kids. So therefore your life isn't your own anymore because now it belongs to them. And that's the only thing that saved me that time. You know, it comes down to uh, finding that anchor, you know, whatever, whatever that, or whoever that person is or, or, or a group of people that can pull you back in. And, yeah. and, and, and for you, you know, it's your kids and, and your family. And the same for me, when I go through that motion and, and when I, I have dealt with, uh, with, you know, uh, suicidal thoughts, what brings me back to reality is the, is that image of my kids. Yeah. No, because, because whatever pain that, like for me, you know, whatever pain that I have, it's not going to end by me ending my life. I'm going to pass that on yep. to somebody else. Yeah. Like, if I get into a car crash hit by a drunk driver, people, you know, you get sad, but you, you know what to blame. Like I got hit by a drunk driver. I was drinking and driving. Like, like there's a cause and effect there on a suicide. There, there's no cause and effect that's clear. And even if it, if it looks clear, you're still going to sit there and be, you know, survivor's guilt is real, man. Like, yeah, yeah. it's, I, I just, I couldn't pass that on to my kids. It's, uh, they saved my life. I promise you. It leaves you that question mark. Yeah. And of course I have to tell the doctor, no, I'm good. It's just, I'm fine. It's going to go away. I'm good. I'm ready to go back. You know, I'm just stressed out. I'm ready to go back. Well, I got back to the command and, uh, you know, the, some people knew about it, you know, and I was, I was, I was embarrassed, you know, about the whole thing. And, uh, a friend of mine on board, he, he, yeah, he picked up chief that, uh, that cycle and, uh, he pulled me aside. He told me, Hey man, it's all over your face. You need to, you need to leave. Like it's, it's really all over your face. You need to get out. You cannot be here anymore. And I was, you know, I, I my mind, my mindset was, yeah, I gotta push through this. Uh, I'm, I only gotta push, push six more years, and I'm good to go. And uh, eventually, I got, you know, just two days later after that, I after I came back from the hospital, I went limited duty to a non-deployable command. And uh, and then a month later, I went back to a hospital again for for like a month and a half but uh like i said man during that time no one from my chain of command checked on my family and that was a that was like a wake-up call for me it was like man yeah i'd like to say that's weird but that's not you know I, i was thinking shit the people that told me that you're just another number 
was right. Yeah. Well, yeah. And all these years, and all these years, I wanted to think that they were wrong. All these years, I wanted to think, no, they're talking yeah. shit. They probably, they probably did something wrong. They got into the point where they say, fuck this. And there I was. I was just that guy that, you know, that had the triad, that dealt with the triad daily, yet they didn't pick up that phone and call my yeah. family, call my wife, or anything, or even reach out to me, you know? That saying that says, if you think you're irreplaceable, just remember your job posting will be posted before your obituary. <laughs> like, yeah. like, like, but we're, we're all replaceable. Yeah. But it's okay. Like, like, don't be the guy or girl that like is irreplaceable that like take a vacation and be okay that your phone's not going to ring, man. Like, like be able to detach from your professional life. And, and at the end of the day, the military is a family in a sense to where we rely on each other, but it's still a job. It, we institutionalize each other. We're, we're family in the same way that I feel like prisoners are family. Like, right. like, <laughs> like, like, yeah, they're, they're boys. That's, that's my boy. But like, you only knew him because you had to. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is that is true, man. Uh, uh, for me, it was a wake up call. For me, it was. I mean, for me, it was also disappointment. Yeah, you know? it's disappointing. Because you give you give fourteen years of your life to something, and you know you don't even you don't even get a like. I didn't even. I dude, I got medically retired. I didn't even get a. I. I, I didn't get a certificate say like, even though I'm medically retired, I got a blue ID card. I don't got no discharge certificate. I got, you'll never see something on my wall that says like honorably discharged from the military. Like I've got a duty 214, but I didn't get one of those fancy certs. Like nobody cared enough to send that out. They were like, Oh, he's gone. Like, all right, move on. Yeah, man. For me, it was, for me, it was like a wake up call for me. It was, I, and actually, after I went through all that and, and I was laughing, I was like, yep, it happened to me. Yeah. You know? Are you okay with that now? Uh, I got mixed feelings about it, about the whole yeah. thing, you know, because uh, I do feel that uh, that's not the way I wanted to leave. No, absolutely not. You know, that's not... It's a pride issue for me. It's not anything other... It's, it's pride. Yeah. I Everybody's mean, you know, like, oh, pride, you did good. Pride and ego are your, your worst enemy. Yeah. But sometimes it's all you got, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I mean, pride and ego are your worst enemy, man. And, uh, and that's just a battle that most people have. And, and for me, I, I, I see it as... Like, I see it as I failed. I couldn't cut it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, uh, I mean, eventually, I mean, eventually at some point I will come to, to under to terms with it. But, uh, I mean, sometimes I think, you know what? I want to go back in. Yeah. You know, and then I look at myself in the mirror, like, no, you won't pass that PRT. <laughs> I don't know. You're pretty jack, man. I like, you look like you still you still throw down on the on the weights, but me, I'm just like 
I do it. I haven't worked out once since I got out. Cause I said, screw that. I got it. You know what the best thing to say? Like, I'm going to give some advice to people right now who are talking to their military friends or military talking to military, right? Listen, so me and Leo both got out under shitty circumstances. We both got are pissed off at our commands in the Navy. We're not happy with the way we got out. So just when, when, when you come across a story where someone is like, where something obviously crappy happened, like to me, the best thing you could say is don't try and say like, nah, man, you should be proud of the 19 and a half years you did. <laughs> nah, man, your only response should be like, yeah, that does suck. And then I know, I know you understand, like, don't try and sugarcoat it. Like, trust me, I've gone through all the mental things that I had to do to like try and overcome it. They don't work. It, I find that I deal with it better if I just look and go, dude, that sucked. And then I move on. I get through that feeling. I get like Veterans Day was hard for me. This is my first Veterans Day where I wasn't in the military, like like real one, like in between the Navy and the or the Air Force and the Navy. I had one, but like I knew I, I was already deaf coming back in. So it didn't count. This was the first one that I had. And I was like, dude, you wouldn't have found me at a store showing a military ID like for a discount, you wouldn't have found me going anywhere near a base. I wasn't posting really anything on Facebook saying like, I wanted nothing to do with being a veteran this veterans day. Like that's how much it sucks when something you gave like so much of your time and life to like cuts you loose like that. It hurts. It sucks, man. But you just got to recognize that it sucks. That's it. I I don't like, I, I can't like, I avoid that conversation when people ask me, oh, what, what do you do? Like, uh, were you in the service? Somehow, I guess my demeanor just gives me away, you know? Yeah, it does every time. They, they, they you know, I get spotted and, and they ask me, oh, uh, are you a veteran? Are you in the service? I, uh, I stay quiet or sometimes say, yeah, yeah, I was, I, I was in the military and that's it, you know? And I don't like to talk about it, you know? Yeah. I just... You know, uh, uh, but yeah, it's just one of those things, you know, it's not that I'm ashamed of it, you know, I, I you know, it's just that uh, I just, uh, it makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. That's what it does. It makes me, it makes me feel very uncomfortable because then I have to explain to them, okay, no, I'm, yes, I'm retired, but I'm medically retired. Yeah. I this amount of time and it's like, you know what? And if you I don't, don't, you feel like you're lying. You know? Correct. Yeah, no, you're not like, it's not like you chose to get out early. So it's just, it sucks. Cause like, you feel like a fraud, even, even the time where I was going through like the deepest, darkest part and I was on limb do, if you threw me into a stressful situation, I was back on, I was dialed in. You put me in combat all day. You put, I can do it, but you put me like in a cubicle. I'll lose my shit now. You know what? I don't, I, I, you know, I work better under stress. I do. Yeah. I react better. It's just one of those things. And like you said, you know, it's one of those things that, that like to me, that's my comfort zone. Stress is my comfort zone. Yeah. But whenever it comes to petty things, like, dude, uh, I lost my shit a, a few months ago over because we were, I was trying to figure out what tiles should I buy. Yeah. And it, it got me to the point when I was ready to walk into the highway to get 
to get, you know, hit by a truck. I know what you mean, man. Like I was trying to finish my basement and I was just, I kept screwing up measurements and that set me off one day and I tore apart my basement because I couldn't figure out why I couldn't get the angle correct. Right. It was something that simple set me off. I never had a single moment like that when I was like in combat or deployed or, you know, in a, on a mission or whatever, like never once did I ever lose my cool under a stress situation. But then I like screw up on wood cutting like two or three times. And like, all of a sudden I'm tearing apart my basement. That's, that's, that's the thing that sucks. (laughs) Yeah, it is because it makes you wonder, you know, I used to be this other person, you know, that can work under a lot of pressure, under stress, sometimes life of death situations. And here I am completely safe under the umbrella. Lowe's <laughs> trying to figure out tiles for the house and I'm losing my shit. Yeah. Yep. I get you, man. I get you. We've been talking for a long time and I feel like we got more to talk about. So I say we make this part one and we come back and we record part two later. I think we got more to talk about. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, man. Definitely. Yeah. Cause it's 1130. Are you, so, you, you know, we kept joking about Eastern time and we're both on the East coast idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. in Maryland. It's the worst part of the, well, it's not the worst part. I've been to worst parts of Maryland, of, of the East coast, but Maryland that yeah, I would, I would invite you to come up here, but like I, we wouldn't do anything cause there ain't nothing to do. I'll go down there. <laughs> <laughs> there ain't nothing to do here in Maryland unless you like, you know, sailing. Oh, well, I got a, I got a story about that in Maryland. Oh, yeah? But... Uh, save it for another no, time. Actually, yeah, that was... Yeah, I'll save it for another time. Because <laughs> I got to go to bed, man. I got to work tomorrow. <laughs> but no, it was good okay, talking with you, man. I'm, I'm glad our paths crossed. And, uh, you know, next time I see Josh, I'll uh, buy him a drink for letting me get to, to know you a little bit. <laughs> Yeah. Perfect, man. Yeah, let's uh, yeah, let's let's catch up and uh, and uh, you know, just just shoot me a text tomorrow. Yeah, let's let's, let's check in and uh, and see where this conversation continues. But um, that was awesome getting to getting to meet you, man. I'm glad you reached out to me. I didn't have to reach out to somebody for a change. Someone reached out to me. You're the first person that said I want to be on your show. That that's kind of a an ego booster for me. So I'm pretty oh, proud of that. Perfect, yeah. So all right, Leo.